Blog Talk Radio. Glamour Fearless, Diva Talk Radio. If I could change the way I live my life today, I wouldn't change a single thing. Cause if I because I'm ready to welcome you to the Mr. Diva Bedick Show. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick, and you just heard a song by July's diva inspiration, Lisa Stansfield. I love the attitude about living life like you wouldn't change a thing. You know, we're spotlighting my favorite old school diva this month because we're celebrating our fourth year anniversary of podcasting. There's now over 110 free podcasts available for you to enjoy on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, and Divabetic. It's hard to believe that we've reached hundreds of thousands of listeners with this podcast. And, you know, I've hosted so many shows. I've met so many wonderful guests. And I've covered so many different topics that I thought in celebration of our fourth anniversary, I wanted to take on a topic that, really feel, that I really feel needs to have a little bit more airtime which is breast cancer and diabetes, because there are so many horrific statistics surrounding it. It's hard to believe that it's just not getting more coverage. I don't know if you knew this, but uh, insulin resistance increases your risk of cancer. Women with diabetes have higher risk of developing breast cancer. And postmenopausal breast cancer survivors have an estimated 20% higher risk of developing diabetes. Plus, there's even new research suggesting that women who've recently received chemotherapy treat oh I'm sorry, women who've had who have received chemotherapy to treat breast cancer have an increased diabetes risk as well. So I thought, why not spend an hour talking about diabetes, breast, uh, diabetes, breast cancer, and everything pink for our DivaBetic community? Because I feel like not only are those statistics alarming, but I also want to know anyone who I want everyone to know who has breast cancer, who's a breast cancer survivor living with diabetes, or a person living with diabetes who's receiving tra- treatment for breast cancer right now, that you are not alone. We're here to help you face your fears, challenges, and struggles of living with a diagnosis with a diva warrior attitude, and this podcast is all for you. My guests tonight, I really have a blockbuster show, include poet Lorraine Brooks, actress, playwright, poet E.P. McKnight, Dr. April Speed, Team Wild director Mari Rohde, and Get ready for this. Award-winning singer, I mean, award-winning songwriter, singer, and author, Mary Sue England, who I had the pleasure of meeting earlier this year in New York. Now, you could help spread the power of love (laughs) by donating today to our dazzling brand of Diabetes Each Outreach. I'm so excited. I'm tongue-tied, everybody, at divabag.org. Your tax-deductible contributions are greatly appreciated. (laughs) 
I have to tell you, there's so many divas on the show. This is the first time I feel like I'm one of the members of Destiny's Child and not Beyonce, which is why I'm like a little bit nervous about the whole thing. Uh, but in all honesty, you know, I came to experience the whole pink movement when I worked uh, at the All About Women um, outreach event in Tennessee. I had the opportunity to go to Knoxville, Nashville, and Memphis and uh, work on women's out- outreach. And I was just kind of blown away by the whole movement because I just it's all about empowering yourself it's all about that uh, survivor and as you're going to hear later with one of my guests E.P. McKnight it's about becoming a champion so I wanted to do a little research before we did the show and find out where did the pink ribbon come from it just seems like you know when you walk in the store everything's pink you sometimes wonder how did, did this have a humble beginning or is this just some kind of commercial enterprise well the truth is ladies and gentlemen 68-year-old Charlotte Haley, who is the granddaughter, sister, mother, and uh, she's a granddaughter, sister, and mother of women who have battled breast cancer, started the whole thing. She actually uh, began making peach-colored ribbon loops. That's right, I said peach, not pink, in her dining room. And she would give away those uh, ribbon loops at the supermarket, but she would enclose a card that said, the, natural, the National Cancer Institute annual budget is $1.8 billion, but only 5% goes to cancer prevention. Help us wake up our legislators and America by wearing this ribbon. So she would hand out these ribbons to the local supermarket, to her friends, her bridge club friends, and so on. And then she decided, get this, to start writing letters to women. And she chose to write to the former first ladies, to Dear Abby, and even columnist Liz Smith, who actually decided to write about Charlotte and put her in her column. And she listed Charlotte's number in the column as well. So the story goes on that... Uh, Self Magazine was doing their annual breast cancer issue and working with Estee Lauder, and uh, they were looking for something to do, and they heard about Charlotte, so they contacted her because they thought, oh, let's include the peach ribbon in our annual um, – what is it? It's a magazine, the, the monthly issue. Excuse me. I'm tongue-tied, everybody. Okay, so uh, anyhow – she, they contacted Charlotte. Charlotte said she didn't want anything to do with them because it was too commercial. Well, South Magazine thought this was such a great idea that they really wanted to go forward with it, and they actually chose to go with the pink ribbon. So they went, you know, step on Charlotte, and that's how the pink ribbon really came about. You could read all about that on several of the blogs and, and websites, but I think the most important thing about that is just to see the grassroots spirit, the power, the power that one woman had in kind of changing how we look at not only breast cancer, but how we look at our health and how we look at prevention and moving prevention to the forefront of where we're going with how we all advocate for better health. And, you know, as a happy healthcare host, that's the most important thing to me. Uh, like I said earlier, living with uh, breast cancer and diabetes is definitely challenging. I've met several women uh, through the course of my history working with Divabetic, and it's just a thrill to spotlight this tonight and give people more recognition as well as let them know there's a community out there that loves and supports you. And tonight you're going to be meeting so many wonderful people, including Dr. April Speed. You're going to meet two amazing artists who are really going out of the box with how they're changing the way we look at the disease and how we also create community. And we're also going to be talking to a two-time breast cancer survivor who's been living with diabetes for 33 years. I mean, this woman is an Amazon. But kicking it all off, everybody, I have to bring in one of my favorite people. She's not only an author, a jewelry designer, and a, and a talk show host herself, but she happens to be my co-host on most of our Diabetes Late Night programs. Please welcome to the show, Lorraine Brooks. Hi, Lorraine. Hi, Max. How are you? I'm super excited to be here tonight. I'm honored to be working with you and celebrating our fourth year anniversary of podcasting. Thank you so much for having me on the show. You know, we don't, I usually am on your late night broadcast. And uh, this is a special show, and I'm so glad you're doing it. I thank you for all the work that you're doing and, uh, and uh, you know, educating people about the risks of not only diabetes but diabetes and breast cancer. I think it's very important work, so thank you. 
Well, thank you, and thanks for being a part of it. You know, it's interesting, Lorraine. Experts say that breast cancer has a lot to do with body image and that many women who go through treatment experience a loss of femininity. And, you know, you and I have talked a lot about body image on our other show as it pertains to diabetes. So I thought it would be interesting to get uh, to find out what you think of the story that's been buzzing all around the diabetes community this week, and it's about Miss Idaho. I don't know if you heard about this, but Sierra Sanderson wore her insulin pump attached to her bikini during the swimsuit competition for her state pageant for Miss America last week. That photo went viral and everyone was talking about it. And I thought it kind of goes along with this whole idea of body image and health that, you know, women with breast cancer, women with diabetes who might have devices. What's your feeling on that? Well, I, I can relate to that on a couple of levels. Um, unfortunately, not as a Miss America contestant, however, <laughs> but I can relate to it as someone with diabetes and somebody who wears an insulin pump. And um, I did see the photograph briefly. I, I, I really, honestly, I have to admit, I haven't followed the story closely, but I did see the photograph. And I thought to myself, that was really brave of her and also really um, very transparent of her and very courageous, and I and I I I admire her for that. You know, I I've often thought what people do when they wear insulin pumps, and I think one of the first poems I wrote for you was about wearing an insulin pump and being on the red carpet. Remember that one? Yeah. And and where we you know what we do with the insulin pump when we um, have to get dressed and when we we have to look at you know, a particular way. And so I really admire her. I, I personally, um, you know, you know, I struggle with my body image and, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm always in awe of women who just put it out there and, and really just, you know, are, are very self-confident. So I take my hat off to her. Well, it's interesting because I think, you know, it tips its hat to the pink ribbon movement and think pink and all the w- breast cancer survivors who are so, um, so, you know, out, living out loud with it, and if you go to Pinterest or you look on Facebook, you know, not only are they not afraid to show their face, but a lot of times they're showing different parts of their bodies. I saw on Pinterest recently a woman t- uh, transformed her scars through tattoos into these really wonderful works of art and just yes. really claiming what they're going through. And I feel like it kind of, you know, in some ways Sierra Sanderson is kind of, you know, part of that next trend about people becoming Uh, much more uh, living out loud with their devices. In fact, she said that her message to everyone is that we all have something that doesn't measure up to beauty standards set by the media, and that's okay. It doesn't make you any less beautiful. We all have obstacles, challenges, and trials. Diabetes turned my life upside down when I was first diagnosed. Sierra was diagnosed in uh, 2013 with type 1 diabetes, and she says, don't let challenges hold you back or slow you down. Amen. And the other thing that was amazing about this was she, uh, you know, she for a long time when she competed in pageants would use injections rather than the pump because she didn't want people to see what she called the Mm -hmm. weird tubey machine attached to her at all times. So she would cover it up. But then she did some research and she found out, are you ready, that actually there is a Miss America who won, who competed in the pageant and won by wearing, and she was wearing insulin pump, and that's Nicole Johnson, and she won in 1999. So Nicole Johnson really inspired uh, Miss Utah, who's going to be in the pageant this fall, uh, to show her pump, which is kind of incredible. Nicole did not show her pump during the pageant, but this is just kind of the next step, which I think, again, just goes to how women, specifically women, are, are really, I feel, are leading us in how we deal with different health states and how we move through them and um, on all sides of the table, not only the patients but also the doctors, and we'll be talking to both tonight. Well, I, I totally agree with you. And as, as an aside, this is not a woman, but there's a, I'm a big baseball fan, and there's now a player on the New York Mets who wears an insulin pump and is very vocal about it. And I think it's a wonderful thing, and they've even showed pictures of him on occasion in the dugout uh, adjusting his insulin pump uh, while he's in the game. So it's it's really becoming, um, uh, you know, uh, it's really becoming very public, and I think that's uh, it can't be anything but positive. 
Absolutely. I mean, when you think Betty Ford, the former first lady, was the one who really kind of went public with her breast cancer diagnosis and how it just kind of shocked the nation and how different we deal with it today. You just have to know that, you know, in the next few years, we're going to see bigger and bigger trends and how people are transforming their lives and moving forward with their health. And I just love it. And um, as always, I'm, I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat because I'm ready to be inspired by you with your latest poem. Can you share it for us tonight? Oh, thank you, Max. Uh, yeah, yeah, when you asked me to write this poem, um, I, you know, I, I never write it until the absolute eleventh hour, and um, I, I, I didn't know what to write. I, I know that um, your show is about breast cancer, and that's not necessarily a happy thing, but I wanted to write a message of hope, and I wanted to write specifically to women um, about how it feels to be a woman and what what it means. And so it's kind of a compilation of a number of things. And the name of the poem is She is Hope. What makes a woman, what makes a nurturer proud to share the warmth of her bosom and the gentle comfort of the curve of her arm nestling all of humanity in her grasp? She is apprehensive at the first appearance of her womanly form shyly and happily dancing with mirrors as the roundness becomes visible, womanizing her shadow. The boys notice. The girls giggle and compare. The world embraces the emerging breasts as capable of forming allies and inspiring men to war. She is admired. She is admonished. She is advertised. She is adored. But for all her beauty, there can be pain in the striking of an enemy, an enemy within that makes a mark and holds her hostage from the first knowing and mocks the very sign of her beauty. But for all her pain, there is courage, and the sisterhood provides. She may question almighty wisdom. She may decide to let them go with grace. She may feel shame and guilt and cast a keen eye toward fate. But for all her questions, there is hope. Hope in the cause. Hope in the arms of children. Hope in the quest for relief. Hope in the callings of family. Hope in the curiosity of science. Hope in the silence of a dream. Hope in the eyes of those who walk for the cure. Hope in the sound of the last bell that signals the end of a journey. Always there is hope. Thank you, for Lorraine, for kicking off the show with that word specifically. I mean, it's all about hope, and it's a big show tonight, and I'm just so grateful again to have you be part of it. Thank you, Max. All right, enjoy your night. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Divabetic Show, and I'm your host, Mr. Divabetic. Tonight we're talking about breast cancer and diabetes. My next guest had no idea when she picked up the phone to speak to a patient concerned about a breast lump that it would lead to an opportunity to educate millions about breast cancer. Please welcome breast cancer surgeon, Dr. April L. Speed. Hello, Dr. Speed. Hi, Max, and thanks for having me. Well, thank you for being on the show. And I have and, to say, you know, I'm the so pa- proud of you. Oh, well, I'm sorry to interrupt. I, I just want to say I'm very proud of you for doing this topic in July. You know, it's not October, which many of us know is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, but for you to take the initiative and educate your massive audience, I'm just so proud just to be a part of that. And, again, I'm so grateful for the opportunity and so pleased that you've done that. That is fantastic. Thank you so much. And, you know, um, I was just blown away by you and just I think – you're the you're the kind of doctor I would want to see because you were so um, the patient I was talking about in your intro was Kendra Moore. She was a former USA uh, Miss USA, and she also appears on the Bravo reality show The Real Housewives of Atlanta. And when she found a lump in her breast, she went through the whole process first of looking for a doctor. She wasn't happy with the first one, which I think is amazing. So she 
she chose to look for a new one, which is when she met you, Dr. April Speed. And then she did. Um, then she booked an appointment, and she went through the whole um, the the consulate consultation. So can you tell us a little bit about what that process was? Because what I really got out of it is how you guys humanized the fear factor and kind of showed that it, it's okay to want to go forward and find out more about it. It has to be scary for people. I'm sure it was very scary for Miss Moore. Uh, and I'm just, you know, when you watch that episode, which people could see on Bravo, they really see that that's something, it's okay. You've got to, this is something you have to do. Oh, absolutely. And I have to say that it was completely unscripted. I mean, her fear and concern were palpable. It was very real. And I did not expedite her process. You know, she had to come back for results just like any patient I would have, and she had to go through all the steps that uh, most of my patients have to um, when they're having a workup for just a breast concern. It could be very scary, and she was no different. And um, with a name like Dr. Speed, I try not to be Dr. Slow, so I definitely try <laughs> to be efficient. However, she went through the whole process in its totality from having the abnormal imaging to having that fear, gosh, you know, what does this mean? Having um, visited one physician and had a less than ideal experience, and I was very proud of her and all women that stand up for themselves and know that they have options. And if the energy isn't right, if it's not a good fit, then you go somewhere else. That's so important that we be empowered as consumers of healthcare to know that you have a choice. And, um, and in terms of the workup, just having to undergo, having a procedure done um, on live television, no less, because, again, that was not scripted. That was in real time. And then having to wait to get the results. Um, and she got the results in person, and that's just my policy. I don't give results over the phone. And, uh, again, just for her to have the courage to go through that process, and I think it encouraged other women that they, too, can, can get through it. Well, I've, I've been doing a lot of research on breast cancer, and I found out that black women are less likely than white women to get breast cancer, but they're higher, uh, they have a higher death rate than white women when it comes to breast cancer. And a lot of, um, I heard that black women have like a, it's a triple, I'm trying to look for it in my notes. The triple negative receptors. Yes. 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 So what is that? Well, there are three receptors that we often target in terms of, chemotherapy or treatment for breast cancer. And if you look at receptors like a light switch and cancerous delight, if you don't have the ability to turn off the switches because the switches aren't there, you can see why it might be challenging to turn off the light. And so those three switches are what we target when we're managing breast cancer. So for women that don't have the three receptors, hence triple for three and negative meaning not present, we have to use other forms of therapy in which to manage the disease. And although it's a difficult management, it's still doable in that we just have to use other forms of therapy, but the traditional therapy that most women are able to receive, women that have triple negative breast cancer or not. Right. And well, I mean, the interesting thing about Kendra, to just go back for a minute, was that her lump was non-cancerous, correct? Like she did right. have, she went in and she, you know, she she was proactive. She came and she saw you. She went through all three stages uh, and found out it was non-cancerous. But a lot of black women are diagnosed at a younger, I mean, they're diagnosed at a younger age and at a much more advanced form. So I know Kendra must be like in her mid-30s. Are you seeing, um, are younger women just not going to the doctor because they just feel like they're too young to have breast cancer? Um, I think a lot of it is the patient, but also we have to take responsibility as clinicians. And although the patient may not fit within the guidelines, which is screening mammograms starting at age 40, I, we try to encourage women that even if you're under 40, if you feel a lump or skin changes or changes underneath the arm where one breast looks fuller than the other, to talk to your clinician and have them order that mammogram or order even an ultrasound, some sort of imaging. And I think oftentimes we think, well, I'm not at screening age, I'm not 40. So I, I, a lot of women think that it will be more difficult for them to get the imaging. You just have to be proactive and push forward. And, again, if you have a doctor where it's not a good fit, to just go somewhere else. But that's okay, an excellent now, point that you it, bring up. 
So now if they go into screening and, they, and they, you do find that that lump is cancerous and they go through treatment, I have done some research about the whole link of chemo and diabetes, and there's even a whole website on uh, just say no to chemo. I'm just kind of curious, like, can you talk a little bit about this link between breast cancer and diabetes from the standpoint of women who go through breast cancer developing diabetes? Sure, absolutely. And that, again, it's an excellent topic that we don't talk enough about. But in terms of uh, diabetes and chemotherapy or diabetes and developing breast cancer, what we're finding is obesity or inactivity is a common link uh, between them between the two. So we know that both are related to um, obesity, are both related to breast cancer and diabetes. And what we found is that women that are obese, or uh, such as a, di- a uh, body mass index over 30, uh, that's associated with the increased risk of not only breast cancer but diabetes. And women that have diabetes are about 20% uh, more likely to develop breast cancer and have a 30% higher mortality rate, meaning they're more likely to die from their disease than women diagnosed with breast cancer without diabetes. Um, so physical activity is a huge uh, part in helping not only lower your risk of diabetes, but also lowering your risk of breast cancer by up to 40%. So although your risk is elevated uh, when you have diabetes, you uh, your risk is decreased with physical activity. Okay, so then... If so, let's so if you have if you have diabetes and you have breast cancer and, and we and you just told us a little bit about why that might happen. How do these two things intermingle? Because I heard like higher blood um, blood sugars could really kind of accelerate cancer, or are are they working somehow in tandem? Yes, because it affects the immune system. It reduces the ability of the immune system to work well um, when you do have uh, uncontrolled insulin or insulin resistance. Also, women that have diabetes have increased inflammation, and we know that inflammation can sometimes uh, trigger or uh, cause uh, cancers to evolve or become worse or progress. Um, And so in addition to that, you also look at the fat cells, and a lot of the hormones uh, that feed tumors like estrogen are increased um, the higher your body mass index is. And so when it comes to the surgery, uh, there's got to be more concerns with a woman with diabetes who's going through breast cancer surgery, correct? Yes, there is. Um, There's complications not just from the surgical standpoint but from anesthesia standpoint uh, during surgery and then after surgery. There's there's oftentimes challenges with wound healing. For a lot of women that have diabetes, it's challenging to do the reconstruction uh, because it's a prolonged surgery, number one, and uh, secondly, uh, the recovery is oftentimes prolonged with oftentimes complications such as reduced uh, wound healing capabilities. So it's very challenging from a surgical and post-surgical standpoint. Okay, well, I don't want to end on a bad note here because I know that a lot of women with diabetes listen to our podcast. If they have diabetes, the thing is, and they are dealing with breast cancer, they can survive it. They can come out on the other end. Have you not seen Absolutely. patients who have been able to successfully not only manage their diabetes through the treatment, but also, you know, might, might even come out healthier at the end of it because they're engaging Absolutely. more in healthier behaviors? Yes, because it's not just about your breast health, but your best health. And I guess I'll just end with a, a quote by um, Michael Sam, who just received the Courage Award, the Arthur Ashe Courage Award, and he quoted Arthur Ashe in terms of his ability to handle life challenges, and I think that applies to women that have diabetes and breast cancer, and it's simply threefold. Start where you are, use what you have, and do the best you can. And so we just have to start by taking one day at a time, being aware of what the risk factors are, using what we have, which is wonderful programs like this that support the cause and I think action starts with having a conversation and that's what we're doing right now and then lastly do what you can make sure you maintain a healthy body weight maintain a healthy diet and uh, maintain a low uh, to normal blood sugar and again stay active Uh, the more active you are that not only reduces your risk of breast cancer but also reduces your risk of complications from diabetes and recovery as well 
And I always like to say bring a friend to the doctor's appointment too, right? Because this could Absolutely. be overwhelming in any moment. And have your best girlfriend, your mom, your sister, your brother, Mr. Divabetta, come with you, kind of taking notes would be <laughs> ideal, right? No, I mean, seriously, that's a great no, way to kind of get someone involved and early on. to back that up, you know, the people that have support do better. So and we're going to be hearing a little bit more. Part of that. <laughs> yeah, well, you thank you, Dr. Speed, for being a, a part of the show. We should tell everyone it's draprilspeed.com is your website, correct? That people could check yes. out. Yes, yes. It, and there's it's a lovely show. And I'll be looking Facebook. forward to seeing you on um, the next episode of. I don't know if you'll be back, but if you're on The Real Housewives, I'm going to look for you now again. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Again, thanks for having me, and congratulations on all your wonderful work and saving lives one show at a time. You got it. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, a singer-songwriter who's using the concert stage to help others heal. Wow, we're getting ready to get Diva. Welcome back to the Mr. Diva Bedick Show on breast cancer and diabetes. Let's meet my next guest. She's an award-winning songwriter, singer, with five self-penned albums to her credit, and she's also created a one-of-a-kind work of art. It's a book. It's a song. It's a movement called I Am Woman. Please welcome Mary Sue England. Hi, Mary Sue. Hello, Max. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Oh, my gosh, what a joy to have you on the show. You're incredible. You just got back from Switzerland, did you not? Well, actually, I was in – you must have been looking on my tour schedule, yes? Yes, you were with Pam Tillis and Lori Morgan was, with Grits, yep. Grits and Glamour. I love that title. I feel like I've I got to go country with that. That's so awesome. <laughs> yes, it's a, it's a fun tour, definitely. Yes, all right, we, we, we go all over the world. You, and and you not only do you sing, you play keyboard, you play guitar, and you also play second fiddle. Yeah, well, I play violin. Yes, I do. But um, oh. twin fiddle, we'll call it twin fiddle. We have another fiddle player in the band, and and uh, and I I twin along. So it's uh, it's great fun. And, okay, and, and, and we should just tell everyone first that not only do you do that, but you're also a graphic designer and you, techni- and you, you design Taylor Swift's latest uh, tour book. And my friend Pam, uh, Pam Lewis is doing wardrobe on the Taylor Swift uh, tour right now, so you might have included a picture of her. <laughs> oh, excellent. Very good. I actually, it was the 2010-2011 uh, book. Um, and it was awesome to do. In fact, when I came to New York, they were selling it at the Walgreens on Broadway, so I had to take my picture there on Broadway and say, I made it. I made it to Broadway. <laughs> yes, you did. I, and, you know, I wanted to tell everyone your whole range of talent because it all went into what we're going to talk about, this incredible project. You are a songwriter. You've written a, a lot of songs, and you co-wrote this song with Tom Shepard called I Am Woman that appeared first on Pam Tillis and Lori Morgan's duet album, Grits and Glamour, correct? Uh, yes. They, well, they actually heard it. Um, I recorded it first for my album, and then they heard it and loved it and asked if they could record it on their album as well. So I was very honored that they that they chose to do that. Okay, and then people really started reacting to this song strongly. I mean, this is a it's a tell tell a little bit about what this song is about because I know you and Tom sat down and started talking about the women in your lives and take it from there. We did. In fact, Tom, uh, this, was, this title was Tom's. He came to me and said, Mary Sue, I want to write a song called I Am a Woman. And uh, I'm glad he came to me because I'm an expert. Um, but we, uh, we really wanted it to be special, and we weren't, we weren't exactly sure uh, how it was going to come together. So we did just start collecting all of our favorite traits of the women we love in our lives, our mothers and our sisters and our best friends, and just started putting them down on a piece of paper and a lot of times in Nashville we get together these co-writes and they say some of the best songs are written in about a half an hour. But Tom and I got together five different times trying to finish this song. And uh, before we got together on the fifth time, um, my mother-in-law had just been diagnosed with breast cancer. And we all took it quite hard. And um, I was on a run before... Um, before we wrote that day, and, and I feel like this is the one time that, that uh, God has a hold of me and, and can talk to me on my runs, and he said, I am faith, I am hope, I'm this pink ribbon that I wear. 
and that's it just it it took hold of the song and i i brought it to tom and it it uh it, it's it's what uh, it's what became the centerpiece of the song for us. But and and really we should tell our listeners we're going to play the song in the in the entirety, Mary Sue, at the end of the show, so people could hear it. But they could also go to your website because it's not just a song anymore, ladies and gentlemen. It's now a book, and it, you turned it into an amazing book. I got to see it when I met you in New York. You took the lyrics of this song and you found you you um, combined them with photos of dynamic women, everyone from uh, Polly, uh, Dolly Parton, who I love, to Venus Williams. I mean, and, you, and there's one lyric in particular, like the, the lyric, I am a, a little black dress. We, we've done a lot of little black dresses at Divabetic, so that obviously appealed to oh, our glam, more fearless philosophy. But you chose Venus yes. Williams for that because Venus wore black dresses, you know, when she's at the U.S. Open. And, and she, you know, she's going through her own health issues, which aren't breast cancer. But yes. I, I, I love that you did that because I felt like it just was showing how different women have overcome things. And it must have been amazing to have Dolly Parton actually give you that wonderful testimonial about being oh. a part of this book. That was a, a great, it continues to be a great honor. Yes, and it's funny you bring up Venus Williams because she was the first one that I chose for the book. I thought, oh, when I started, so what I did is, yes, for every lyric of the song, I chose a woman to celebrate that lyric. And I just thought Venus is the perfect little black dress. She's powerful and sexy, and she's fighting her own disease, and she's out there fighting for every woman. And... uh so it was a thrill to include her in the book. Well, you also chose like Audrey Hepburn, Eleanor Roosevelt, yes. and Elizabeth Taylor. I am curious, why did you choose, outside of her being uh, beautiful, why did you choose Elizabeth Taylor? You know, I, I brought it to my mother. My mother is an author and a publisher, and that's where I got that's where I cut my teeth uh, designing books. I designed coffee table books for her publishing company, and and I, I brought that to my mother and said. Uh, you know, who do you think for I Am Beauty? Is Elizabeth Taylor just a, a a gimme? Is that too easy? And she had found this wonderful quote from Elizabeth. This book includes quotes from all of these women uh, to inspire and encourage all of us. And Elizabeth talked about how the movie studio wanted her to bleach her hair and pluck her eyebrows to fit their mold of what they believed was beautiful. And she defied them and said, no, God made me this way, and this is, this is what I see as beautiful, and she stood her ground. And then she talked about as, as women age, it's not about the surgeons and the knives that make us beautiful, it's about our experiences and uh, how we choose to live that make us beautiful. So well, I, I would love that's that. So- yeah, that's amazing. I thought it was really interesting. I just heard the news that actress Nia Long is going to be the new face of Elizabeth Taylor's White Diamonds fa- fragrance. She's becoming wow. the uh, ambassador, which I thought added to your whole thing, because here's Elizabeth Taylor choosing an African-American woman to uh, you know, be the face of her, of her perfume you know, after her death, obviously. But I just love yes. the idea that they're going after universal beauty and, and the hope. Now, I just want to end, Mary Sue, and talk a little bit about the healing concerts, because coming up is E.P. McKnight, who's working on this amazing stage show in L.A., and I, 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 think it's, I think not only is it important to seek treatment, but the idea of the community, and I love that you're doing this kind of out-of-box, I mean, I don't think it's out-of-box, I'm sure a lot of people do, but I love that you're using music to really heal people, so on your website, you could hear about healing concerts, what are they, and, where can, and tell us a little bit where people could find out more about it. Well, you can find out more about my healing concerts at my website, which is www.iamawomansurvivor.com. Okay. And you can you can schedule them there. And basically, I just I just started writing songs that were healing my heart, and songs that I believed would heal others. And I put together one album for that so far, and I'm I'm almost done with the second album. And I just discovered, especially with I'm a Woman being the centerpiece, that these songs were so important to to those who are trying to heal. And it's funny, along my journey, I've discovered that, um, which this is something I didn't know. My my mother is fighting a cancer called multiple myeloma, and it's okay. it's um, a cancer of the plasma. And I've been so honored to please stop eating sugar, stop eating sugar. But um, I just learned that our bodies without a diet actually create 
chemicals that can heal us. So if we're going through positive experiences, we're going through things that are good for our bodies, we can actually create the chemicals that, that help heal our bodies, which really goes in tandem with, with my healing concerts. Um, and I we perform, we do house concerts, we, we perform for as little as 20 and for up to, you know, 2,000, whatever it takes to, from a theater to a hospital waiting room, uh, we go where the music's needed. And, and perform. And it's for those who are fighting cancer, it's for the caretakers, it's for anybody who's been touched by the disease, which is just about everybody these days. Absolutely. I love it. You know, I'm, 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 you're a little bit country, I'm a little bit disco, but I would still come to one of your shows. <laughs> Thank you. I love disco too. So. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to play your song at the end of the show. Thanks for being a part of the show tonight, Mary Sue. Uh, great to have you as a guest. Thank you for having me, Max. I'm truly honored. Welcome back to the Mr. Diabetic Show. Hey, it's all about surprises tonight. We're talking about breast cancer and diabetes. I'm not sure which one of my next guests I'm going to have. So um, I'm just going to let her in and see who it is. Hi, welcome to the show. Um, who's calling from 612 area code? Hello? This is Mari. Hi, Mari. How are you? Hello. I'm doing really well. Uh, you know, we're EP uh, McKnight is calling a little later. She didn't call in ahead of time, so I didn't know her number. So I should let, let me introduce you then. I'm so excited to have Mari Rudy with us. She is, I'm just going to do it without my script. You're the founder of Team Wild. You also created uh, Red Riders and Red Striders. You've been living with diabetes for 33 years, type 1 diabetes, and you're a two-time breast cancer survivor. I think you should have another round of applause. Thank what an you. honor to have you on the show. It's great to be here. I'm, it's really exciting. Now, yeah. you know, Mari, you would be, you, have you ever met other women like you? <laughs> Meaning pe- women with Breast diabetes? Breast cancer survivors living with diabetes? Um, I have done quite a number of email exchanges with women who've had both, but I've never met any other women and I've met literally thousands of women with diabetes but it's still not super common to actually uh, meet those women yeah we got to get these women to come out of the uh, you know closet so to speak and and start introducing themselves I, the double do- diagnosed divas really need to stand up because what you guys do is incredible to me that you were able to get through it now walk us through a little bit i know okay so you've been living with type 1 for 33 years walk us through a little bit of going through breast cancer twice what was it like and how did your diabetes affect any of that right um So I have a lot of connection with diabetes in my family. My father has type 1, my brother, my sister's husband. Um, So I, you know, I know a lot about living and managing diabetes. And I was diagnosed the first time with cancer when I was 39, which is considered fairly young, and I have no family history of breast cancer at all. And I've been tested and I don't carry any of the the genes that would target me uh, for breast cancer. So the, because I was 39 when I was diagnosed, they did the lumpectomy to take out the lump and they were very aggressive with my treatments, and I went through five rounds of chemotherapy, and then I went through 36 rounds of radiation therapy. And especially during the chemo, um, I had friends come from out of town because I, I would essentially lose the ability to manage my own diabetes because I was so, uh, you know, out of it from all of the anti-nausea drugs, and I threw up nonstop. It was, 
it took them a while to ha- figure out the combination that worked for me to manage the nausea. Um, so I, it was my first experience of really being the one that was taken care of. Um, and it was a huge lesson in allowing other people to look out for me. And it was a huge transformative learning. And sort of um, what happened as a result of that was that I, a week after I finished radiation, I did my first triathlon. I figured, well, I'm not dead. I might as well go do a triathlon. Oh, my gosh. And Yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty funny. And it was a triathlon that had the second wave of people who did it were the cancer survivors. And all of these people cheered me on for being a cancer survivor. And it had a very profound and unexpected healing result in that I was like, it made all of the challenges of having gone through the treatments not seem so bad. And at the end of the race, I was crying and I was so moved by how incredible it was. And then I went and did what was at that time my 10th ride for diabetes. And I couldn't figure out who the people were who had diabetes. And I kept Mm -hmm. saying, do you have diabetes? Do you have diabetes? And um, at at the end, I was so angry because, in my opinion, it was actually harder to do athletic events as a person with diabetes than it was to do as a cancer survivor. And I'm in the unique position to be able to compare the two. And I wanted some way to recognize and know who the people were who were taking care of their health and riding their bikes and getting out and walking. And that's how we created the Red Red Riders and the Red Striders. And there are now over 8,000 people who wear the jersey that I created eight, almost eight years ago. It's incredible. So, and we should tell everyone, because I know you heard uh, the interview with Dr. April Speed about, you know, being overweight and, and, and having higher risk of both diabetes and, and um, breast cancer. When people hear that you competed in a triathlon, and I know you're going to be competing in your next one this year, um, and that you do all these uh, these bike rides, that you weren't really... Uh, prior, to, you know that you're, you weren't, you don't really consider, you didn't really consider yourself to be an athlete. That really, I read somewhere that a man on a wheelchair is what kind of inspired you, or a wheelchair bike inspired you to even want to start riding. So the truth is, uh, people who don't exercise could start exercising, and it, it could change their lives, right? And what you do through Team Absolutely. Wild is about changing their health through exercise. Right, right. Well, Team Wild has actually closed. So uh, that was an adventure that I did for about six years. And okay. lots, of, lots of people who participated. Um, there's ten women who did Ironman Wisconsin, which is a, a huge triathlon. It's the biggest triathlon that's out there. But um, I wasn't an athlete until I was 35. So, yeah, I mean, it, any, anyone can start any time. I mean, one of my uh, heroes is a woman who's just turned 70, and she didn't start doing triathlons until she was 61. And she's doing her second Ironman in two weeks. So, you know, it's you really can start, like... Um, April, Dr. Um, Speed said, you can start wherever you are and go from there. And, um, you know, I, and you never know exactly what's going to happen or why. I mean, I have. Were you afraid, though, Mari? I mean, you're living with type 1. Were you afraid? A lot of people we deal with at DivaBetic are afraid of exercise and diabetes because they're afraid they're going to go low. And, you know, on a bike in New York City where I live, that would be kind of, that would be awful, frankly. So, I mean, was was it a little bit of fear that you didn't exercise? Um, yes. 
I mean, what I grew up in a family that had diabetes. My father was diagnosed when I was one, and the paramedics came to our house minimally once a year to essentially revive him. And so, and, and most of his extreme low blood sugars were connected to him exercising. So I, I, when I was diagnosed when I was 16, I avoided exercise because I didn't want to have the paramedics come and have to rescue me. And so when I finally decided to get active myself, I, I hired, this is really funny, I did a 400-mile bike ride across the state of Colorado, and I hired an endocrinologist and a cycling coach, and I made them talk to each other and coach me together. And that was essentially how we started Team Wild because I needed them to understand together how to help me understand my diabetes so that I wouldn't have terrible lows or go crazy high. And that was what I wanted to help teach people. And one of the key things that I say anyone who has diabetes who has those fears of lows is learn your medications and learn them inside and out and learn how they act in your body. So for me, I take, I wear an insulin pump and I, I learned my insulin in my body. And I mean, I, I've asked so many questions in order to do that. And it's one of the keys to learning you know, and overcoming that fear. So that's, that's how I did it. Yeah. You're, you're, you're amazing. I mean, I want to have you back on again. I'm, I, I'm so blown away by you. We met through Facebook. I have heard about you forever. And I'm so glad to finally have the privilege to meet you. People have to go to the ADA and check out the Red Riders and the uh, Red Striders, correct? And um, you still have a lot of videos on YouTube. I love the whole thing you're doing. Thank you so much, Mari Rudy, for being a part of the show. You're you're sensational. Well, you bet. And I'm uh, I'm on my way to an open water swim, and I'm going to ride my bike there as soon as the show's over. So thanks for having me. It's great to find you. <laughs> well, too. come back again, again, and again. Thanks a, thanks a lot. All right, everybody. We're getting ready to re- meet my final guest. She's a playwright, author, poet, actress. Coming up next. Hold on to your seats. Here we go. Welcome back to the Mr. Diabetic Show on breast cancer and diabetes. My next guest is a Fordham University graduate with a master's in educational psychology, an actress, poet, writer, director, producer, motivational speaker, talk show host, teacher, fitness instructor, and she works in film, TV, stage. Gosh, I feel like I don't do anything with my days when I listen to this. <laughs> she also is currently producing Still I Rise for the, for the Rainbow Ladies Who Chose Life When Death Knocked true breast cancer champion stories of survival and life. Please welcome E.P. McKnight. Hi, E.P. Hello there. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing great. This has been an awesome show, and I'm glad you could be here to celebrate with us and, and take the time to be here, because I know right now you're in the middle of a fundraising campaign for this newest show, and Still I Rise. Tell everyone a little bit about it. Well, and Still I Rise is going to be an event. We're doing six shows in October, which is Breast Cancer Month, and it's honoring breast cancer champions. I don't say survivors because survivors mean you're still in the process. Champions mean that you're doing it. So we're doing these six shows to educate, to motivate, and to inspire people to know that just because you get a breast cancer diagnosis does not mean it's a death sentence. It's just a wake-up call. It's like if you get a common cold, you have to do something about the cold. So we're doing this event in October just to educate and bring more breast cancer awareness to people all across the world that it's time that we learn more about breast cancer and how to survive in spite of it. 
And we should tell everyone, you've staged a lot of one-woman shows around the country. I know I was watching your videos on YouTube. Not only are you an actress, you appeared in a general hospital, but you also do these wonderful uh, giving baskets that you give to breast cancer champions like yourself. So how did you come up with the stories that you put in this um, show called Still I Rise for the Rainbow Ladies Who Chose Life When Death Knocked? Actually, what happened, being a breast cancer champion myself, and something about when you go through something like that, it's very life-changing. And all of a sudden, I found myself becoming an advocate for breast cancer. So I started interviewing and just talking with women as a part of my healing process. And in doing that, the stories were so interesting also was very healing because right after I had my surgery, I, I said I just want to talk with someone who survived it, who dealt with it, and find out what's their secret. So I went to a pumpkin festival, and I met this woman who was a 25-year survivor, where she didn't know that I was a survivor. So she said, I said, well, tell me about your process, what do you do, what are your eating habits, do you exercise, what do you do? The more I talked with her, the more I was inspired. Then I thought it came to me, well, you need to tell these women's stories. So I started interviewing women uh, locally here in Los Angeles. Then people were referring other breast cancer champions to me from Chicago, uh, in the South, different parts of the country. So I started these interviews on the phone in person, and I was going to write a book and put all these women's stories in it. And then, and then it came to me, it's better to do a play. A play speaks more volume than a book, and that's how it all came about. And getting back to the the gift basket, it's called it a traveling angel gift basket. What happened is a lot of women go through this, and sometimes they have to go through it alone because their friends don't understand their plight, family don't know how to deal with it. So we put together these love baskets. We find a woman who's in need of spiritual healing, and we deliver these baskets with all the love we can to encourage this person that you're not walking alone. So the Traveling Angel Gift Basket motto is, no woman walks alone. And that's how that came about. And then talking about the one-person shows, I have three one-person shows. One is called I Question America about the legacy of Mrs. Sandra Hamer, who was very instrumental in the mm -hmm. civil rights movement. And she also coined the phrase, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. My other show is called, it's about Nina Simone life, On My Own Terms, and her contribution to the civil rights movement. I'm very movement-oriented, so when I tell these women's stories, it's usually about women who contrib contributed something major to our society to bring about a change. My other show is about, it's called With Great I Stand. It's about seven African-American women dating back from the 1800s all the way to the 21st century. And it highlights wow. their life and their contribution. You know, it goes Shirley Jordan, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Barbara Jordan, Shirley Chisholm, Bear Bowman, who's the first black nun that nobody knows about. She died a few years ago. So, Easy, we are going to have to have you back on the show, but we're running out of time because we have to play, no. I want to play Mary Sue England's um, song to end the show. But tell everyone how they could be a part of the fundraising effort for your campaign for And Still I Rise. Where can they go? Absolutely. com. Okay. Put in the name of the play, And Still I Rise, and in the Bring Up the Play, donate whatever you can. We have seven more days to meet our goal. If we don't meet our goal, we lose all our fundraising. We have seven days to make it happen. So please go to www.kickstarter.com and still I rise and, and send me a, a message and I'll respond to you. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I really oh, my it. pleasure. And, hey, let's all be champions and support that cause. I want to thank all my guests for tuning in tonight. I hope you realize you're not alone out there. If you're living with breast cancer and diabetes, we're there for you. Please check out all my videos on Mr. Beck's YouTube channel. And let's take a listen to Mary Sue England's song, I Am Woman, and support the cause. Thank you. Thank you. I am beauty. I am great. And I'm not just another pretty face. I'm an 
Forget. <laughs> 